Okay, so we're sticklers for starting on time at Stand Up Tragedy, plus the next performers will need us to be on time. So, hello, everybody! Welcome to Stand Up Tragedy. My name's Dave and I'm your host. Now, what we do at Stand Up Tragedy is we stand up and we do tragedy. We invite performers from different parts of the arts. We get comedians, storytellers, spoken word artists, uh, musicians and more to come up on stage and to do something about tragedy, about the sad things in life with some laughs, hopefully, as well as some tears. We like people to cry until they laugh and laugh until they cry. Uh, and one thing I should say about this night is because it is about tragedy, we should expect to see some tragedy. Like you walk down the street, you could get hit by a car anytime and tragedy could before you. Uh, but in this room, we know it's going to happen and it's going to happen on this stage. It, won't, it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone because at Stand Up Tragedy, we like to create a safe space to talk about unsafe things. And uh, we are a live show. We are also a podcast. So uh, as many people as there is in the room, it's a much bigger audience than it is actually going out to. Uh, but, it's, it, but you're the ones who count. You're the ones who matter. Um, although if you're listening, I'm talking to you. Uh, and if you're in the room, I'm talking to you. So uh, everybody's happy. You're all great. Um, so yes. Um, so we've got some other shows happening at the Fringe as well. We're not just doing this here we're doing uh, 7.30 every day all the way through the fringe we've got guest hosts coming in and doing completely different lineups people who aren't me talking which is I always like that when it's not me talking although I do choose to stand up on stage and talk quite a lot um, but yes um, so we're doing that in here and apart from on Tuesdays when we have a different show happening I'm going to be in conversation with people in a show called Getting Better Acquainted uh, on Monday our guest host is Samantha Mann and she will be my guest on Tuesday uh, and also I'm doing another show at 12.05 at Cabaret Voltaire. And if you think it's tragic, this show, uh, my uh, solo show is much, much more tragic and serious. Uh, it's on, as I said, at 12.05 at Cabaret Voltaire. It's called What About the Men? Mansplaining Masculinity. Uh, and it's about how men uh, get hurt by society and maybe how they hurt people because of society. So that's kind of what it's about. Um, but, uh, and you, you, I had a, a really nice big audience today at the show, which was really nice uh, to be talking to lots of people about sad things and them appreciating it and responding and stuff like that, which is good. So, yeah. Um, we're part of the PBH Free Fringe, which means that it's free to come in. Art, at, uh, which is free at point of contact, is something I really believe in. Um, but we ask people to pay what they think that the show was worth. So uh, at the end, uh, if you might want to pay some money towards it. I mean, it's a tragic time that we're living in at the moment, kind of in terms of society. Like, everyone's hard up, so we understand that. Um, but because it's a tragic time, we're really hard up too. Uh, so uh, it'd be great if you could help uh, me to pay my rent. Uh, and also support the arts because you know you get to do both you get to feel good for supporting the arts and I get to eat um, so yes um, so that uh, is what we do at Stand Up Tragedy this is the end of the sad men section uh, apart from I should say you can make friends with the tragedy on Facebook you can uh, follow the tragedy on Twitter at Stand Up For Tragedy uh, and if you want to tweet about tonight's show uh, the hashtag is tragic moments so yes right now I think have we? Yes, we have got our first act is in the room, which is always great. He's doing a show uh, called Hey Hey 16K at Sneaky Pete's at 6.15 uh, until the 22nd of August. Uh, I always love to get him on at Stand Up Tragedy because he's a resolutely positive person. And I like to try and make positive people be sad. That's what I like to do. Uh, so that's what I'm going to try and do now. So put your hands together, everybody, for MJ Hibbert! <laughs> 
No, no, I've got to put. I've got. No, no, dear. Table there. There'll be a bit on the podcast. Goes. Oh dear. That'll be me. I say hello, because I won't. I won't use the microphone because I think.
But whatever happens, you can relax, safe in the knowledge that you don't have to do any of the crap. Of 20 things to do before you're 30. No thanks, you're alright. 20 things to do before you're 30 no longer apply. 20 things to do before you're 30. My show's all about, uh, in my show I go back in time and visit myself age 15. Yes, <laughs> I go back in time three weeks. And um, I have to reassure myself I don't turn into sort of sad old bastard um, who drinks loads of beer. Uh, so it's a bit of a lie to myself and he's an idiot, as we've all discovered. Uh, so what happened to me in my life was I grew up to become a, uh, well can anybody, would anybody like to guess what I do for a living these days? Rockstar. Rockstar, thank you very much. Yes, because I'm a yes mother. That is what I do for a living. Uh, no, I'm actually an IT guy. Whoa, who'd have thought? Uh, and um, so, with that in mind, I thought one day uh, I think I think it's a tragedy. I'm just going to say tragedy in all my intros now to make it fit. Uh, it's tragic. I think that there isn't a song. Uh, there is no song about love within the information technology community. Uh, so I wrote one, and uh, that's what this song is. This song uh, is called "It Only Works Because You're Here." The phone rings nine times before he says yes. She's got a problem with Internet Explorer and he's the computer desk. He waits and takes the lift to her floor and says, show me the problem then. She's mildly mortified to find that everything's working again. She flushes bright pink, which he thinks is wonderful. She feels like such a fool, and so she says, it only works because you're here. Before you came it was broken, it only works because you're here. You've got my windows to open, la -da -da. <coughs> Weeks pass, and that's that, until he gets in late one day to see she's been unposted and posted notes onto his screen that says, could you pop up when you've got a minute? He flies up five flights of stairs to find her computer rebooting a main site IT guy sat in her chair. He's red-faced and out of breath, which she thinks is wonderful. She knows he wanted to help her and so she says, it only works because you're here. Before you came it was broken, it only works because you're here. You've got my windows to open, la-da-da. So he pops in to see her when he's passing and also when he's not. He can't be... Sorry, I've got to move myself. So he pops in to see her when he's passing and also when he's not. 
She's fairly sure that he feels something for her but can't say exactly what. He's nervous and he's shy and that's part of the reason why she likes him. But the vague chance of romance is not enough reason for her to stay. He can't believe it when he hears that she's leaving from her whip-round-wielding PA. There's not enough room on the card to fit all the words that burn in his heart. She's leaving. It's horrible. He doesn't know what to do. Until at her leaving do, he puts his hand to his heart and says, it only works because you're here Before you came it was broken It only works because you're here You've got my windows to open She says, well you've left it a bit bloody late So let's not waste time now I think you're great They kiss Crowd cheers, main site IT guy goes home in a flood of tears. And, and just to mitigate, because I don't like sadness, just to mitigate the sadness of that, of that song, please don't cry for main site IT guy. Uh, he fell in love with a goth online, and now they've got a dog. <laughs> A coda. So yeah, um, what we're going to do? So I've got, uh, yeah, okay. Well, I'm going to do a song. Um, another thing that doesn't get written, but yeah. So my, my my own personal tragedy is that yes, I'm an IT guy in his forties. It's not so bad. It's not so bad. And one of the things um, one of the things I noticed about the world of, uh, of popular music is that one of the things I don't like about the world of pop music is it's very youth oriented. You know, it's like going. We, we write songs for kids, that's fine, you know, if, if you're in your 20s and you write a song about being in your 20s or younger, that's fine, that's absolutely fine, but I, I hate it when people my age write songs about that as well, because it's just frankly a bit fucking pervy, I always say, you know. <laughs> and also, also, I think there's so many, so many love songs, I mean, some people say the world has had enough of silly love songs, so what's wrong with that? Well, I'm, that's what I'm telling you, Paul McCartney, I didn't know you were here. Uh, what happens, I, I, I always say, you know, the thing is, writing about young love or first love, that, that's a piece of piss. You know, young love and first love, that's fucking easy. It's like basically your hormones are going, I'll just shag somebody or something. That's easy. Being in love when you're young is a piece of fucking piss. It's one of the few things that are easy. What's difficult, what's difficult is being in a long-term relationship. That's the thing that's difficult, and that's the thing I think there should be songs about. So I wrote a song about it. And uh, this is it. So, yeah, so thanks very much for listening to me. This song, uh, now I see, now I can't see you now. So what I'm going to imagine is that uh, when there's a bit about punching the air, what I'm going to imagine is you're all vigorously punching the air when I get to it. So please do not disabuse me of that later on. So there, this, so I've been aimed at it, and uh, this song, uh, this song is called "You Make Me Feel Soft Rock," uh, and this song is the only song I've ever written that features a key change. Uh, you'll know when it's a key change because I go like this because I'm not very good at guitar, so I'm quite impressed with myself that I managed to do that. There we go. When you hold my hand as we leave the pub Feels like we've left Leightonstone far behind And we're walking in Hollywood And when you smile at me when I make the tea When I get back home I feel my denims rip, my t-shirt shrinks And I've lost five stone 
Cause you make me want to punch the air I might look like a wazzock but I don't care Got a wind machine, amazing hair You make me feel Soft rock Is this the 257? Or an F-18? Am I on a bike in the gym? Or on a silver dream machine? And when we're sorting out the shopping list Or you ring me up at lunch I hear fenders sing And the things I think Would make Prince blush Cos you make me want to punch the air I might have like a wazzard but I don't care Got a wind machine, amazing hair You make me feel Soft rock Midlight, oh baby Tonight we're gonna rock I've got a half bottle of wine in the fridge And Doc Martin on the TiVo box Get the Pringles open We're gonna have a crazy night I'll do you a hot water bottle with a whiskey in bed And we'll listen to Radio 5 Cos you make me want to punch the air I might look like a wazzard but I don't care Got a wind machine, amazing hair You make me feel you make me want to punch the air I might look like a wazzard but I don't care Got a wind machine, amazing hair You make me feel Soft rock MJ Hibbert everybody! Now, don't be lulled into a false sense of security. I did say that he was a very positive person. That's as dark as he can get. But there may be much more darkness later on. So <clears throat> prepare yourselves always for the tragedy. So, yes, our next performer, she's doing a show called Shallow Halal at Laughing Horse at the newsroom at 2.30 uh, from now until the 30th. But check, because she's got some days off. She's also doing a show called Immigrant Diaries, which is a storytelling show about immigration, uh, as, it's, as is clear, really, from its title. Uh, the, and that's at the Assembly Rooms at uh, 10 o'clock from now until the 30th, but not tomorrow. So don't go that day, but go the other days, because it's going to be great. Put your hands together for... Sajila Kashi! I love that, like, kind of slight little clap. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. You're going to be funny, Sajila. What? How are you? You're good, Edinburgh. Are we, are, we, are we Sunday? Is that what's happening? Sunday? Yeah, yeah? okay, Sunday. I was getting a bit confused. I wasn't sure. Um, so, so, welcome. Do I leave this here? Or, yeah, probably you want me to leave it there, do you? Um, now, um, okay, so comedy tragedy. So I'm going to tell you a story, because I, I, I obviously I'm doing a storytelling show called Immigrant Diaries, as I just mentioned, and in my own solo show, I tell a lot of true stories. So guys, who's been on holiday ever? Give me some noise. Yeah. <laughs> who's been to holiday to Pakistan, Karachi? Who's been on holiday to Pakistan, Karachi, and got held at gunpoint and as a hostage by the Kim MQM? No, just me then, just me, right. So this is a story, this is my story, right? So I, I go to um, 
I go to Karachi, I go to a wedding, and that's where I'm from. I'm born in Pakistan, and I've gone back as an adult, and I've gone to a wedding. And I'm three months pregnant, and I arrive in Pakistan, I go to the wedding, I wear all my gold. Have you all seen Asian weddings, ladies and gentlemen? Have you? Have you seen videos? Have you seen Bollywood films? Lots of gold, right? Lots of gold. Um, that's compulsory, because that's our dowry. Basically, uh, Indian brides, they're made to look like they've had a makeover done from Pimp My Bride, don't they? Lots of gold. But anyway, so I've got this gold I'm wearing to a wedding, because that's compulsory. I'm nearly married. I know I've got a baby, but in the baby, in the oven. Anyway, um, I, I'm waking up, waking up at my grandmother's house after the wedding processions and stuff. And um, I'm awoken by, I've got a massive family, so people come and go all the time. And I see at the corner of my eye, I'm sleeping in the lounge where there's a fan, it's the coolest room in the, in the house, and um, a man comes to the door. I can hear some commotion out my eyes, and this man sort of says, go back to sleep. And I think, oh, this must be another uncle, because I've got millions of them. And this must be another uncle. And I know, he says, go back to sleep. I've just realised he's saying, go back to sleep, with a gun in his hand. And I thought, maybe uncles here have guns, and, you know, maybe that's the way it works. So I'm just trying to sort of digest this in my head. Um... And this man, he comes back, and he comes right up to me, and he says, get up, get up. And I'm like half asleep, thinking, what the fuck, what? And he's pointing the gun at me, and he's like, come on, get up, get up now. And he sees my wedding ring, and he gets my wedding ring, and he tries to pull me up with a wedding ring, you know, my ring, my precious ring. And as I've got up, I am towering above this little hobbit terrorist, basically. Right? <laughs> he's tiny. And he's clearly got small man syndrome because he starts getting more aggressive with me and he starts pushing the gun in my back and I'm aware that I'm three months pregnant. And I'm like petrified. Like, what the fuck is going on? I can hear noise going on in the other room and he pushes me into the other room. And in the other room is my mother. And my mother and the rest of the family, eight other members of the family, and she's kicking off. And she's going, oh, Sajila, thank God you're here. Like I'd gone out for a cup of tea. What the fuck? You know, what's happening? There's another gunman there. And he's holding a gun to all the rest of the family. And she's, listen to me, Sajila. Listen, they won't listen to me. You know when I get nervous, I have to go to the toilet. They won't let me go to the toilet. They won't let me go for the shit. Right? It's like, for fuck's sake, this is a hostage situation. There aren't tea breaks in a hostage situation, <laughs> right? There aren't, there aren't any toilet breaks. What are you doing, Mum? Just shut up. You're going to get us in trouble. So I'm trying to work this out, what's happening. So two, these two guys have basically broken in, and they're holding everyone at gunpoint. And what they want is they want money. They're trying to get hold of my uncle, who's a doctor. And I think that's who they really want. That's their target, because they want to kidnap him. They want to take him away so they can get the ransom. The thing is, the uncle who's a doctor is actually working in Saudi. This is a massive fuck up, right? So they're obviously trying to make the best of the situation. They tell us to get all our money out, all our gold out. And, you know, which everybody does. And my mum's still going on about the bloody toilet. I'm saying, just shut up, mum, shut up. Um, and we, they push us into the other bedroom. Now, there's a little baby girl, and there's two other. Uh, uh, aunts who are also pregnant. It's like a maternity wing, basically, that they've really, that these guys are not doing well. And um, the baby starts crying and they panic, these two gunmen. And the gunman that was attacking me, let's call him gunman number two, who's um, actually the nicer one, the good cop, bad cop if, of terrorism, right, if you like. And he's, he's a little bit more shaky, he's a little bit more nervous. And the other one's a little bit more aggressive, you know, the other one that's got the gun to my mum and the rest of the family. So he says, shut that baby up because he's panicking. And I said, okay, this, it's a household, babies cry. This is normal, but they haven't worked this through in their head. They think the baby somehow is gonna give a call for help somehow. And the baby's crying, they says, shut the baby up. And he panics, he goes up to the baby and he pulls the trigger and he's about to shoot the baby. And I'm like, please, oh my God, you can't kill the baby, you can't kill the baby. And my aunt says, look, it's fine, it's fine. I, I can make her be quiet. She quickly lifts up her top and she breastfeeds the baby baby starts being quiet 
And we were all like, thank God, thank God. Now they're telling us to take all our gold off. And as they're taking the gold off, we're all taking our gold off, there's a gold chain around my neck. And I think this guy's seen too many films because he tries to pull it off my neck. You know, in the films, it always comes off. In real life, that shit doesn't happen. So the gold chain is just being put, and I'm like, look, really silly, you need to, because it's 22 karat gold, there is no links, you are not gonna break this off. And I've got a massive, like, cut on my neck. And I said, look, just, just let me, there. And that's made him look stupid now because he was hoping to get the filmy scene of getting that chain whipped off my neck. They're going around and I'm thinking, just clock them. And what you have to do is I have to do a little photo thing when the police come around and I shall do the description. And he starts getting panicky. He goes, what are you looking at? What are you looking at? I don't like you. I'm like, what? It's only because I'm taller than him. He's got small man syndrome, I told you, right? Anyway, my mum, because she's kicked off about the toilet, what they decide to do, they decide to lock us, all eight, nine of us, right, nine including me, into the toilet, which is the smallest room in the house. It's tiny, we're packed in there like sardines, stuck in there, thinking, great, thanks, Mum, this is your bloody fault, we're in here. Now, they do lock the door, and my mum, she goes, look, get out of the way, I really need to go, I'm not kidding, I need to go, I need to go to the toilet. So she goes, and which, um, have you all been to a dry toilet? Have you ever used a dry toilet, guys, anyone? Do you know what a dry toilet is? It's a hole in the ground. It's a hole in the ground. So this is a hole in the ground. Um, and so she's basically backed off. She's gone to the loo. We're trying to give her some dignity. We're all standing there, you know, trying to give her some sort of privacy. She goes, it's like platoon, you know. Right, it's really... In that moment, we all realise to our horror that there is no air con in the bathroom. There is no windows in the bathroom. The stench hits our nostrils and it's horrific, and we realise that the flush, because the water only comes at certain hours, the flush is not working, there's no water. And we're like, this horrendous moment where we just think, shit, we're stuck in it. Could our lives get any worse? And I don't know why, maybe it's gallows humour, but I don't, we, we start laughing hysterically. <laughs> it's kind of scared. And the gunmen, they're outside, and like, what the hell are you laughing at? Why are you laughing? This is not funny. And we're like, no, we know it's not funny. <laughs> Mummy's just had a shit. <laughs> and we're just hysterical. It's ridiculous. Hysterical, but with tears. They knock on the door. Are you going to shut up in there? And we can't control it. Finally, they open the door up. And we, and we know this weren't going to be trouble. We can't stop laughing. This is ridiculous. They pull my uncle out, who's around the same age as me. They pull him out. And we know the stories that basically... The MQM have gone around to different people's houses when they, when they kidnap someone, they always kill one member of the family. And I'm thinking, shit, he's going to get it. He's going to be the one that gets killed. I'm a little bit upset about this, but not too much because he's not my favourite uncle. So we can sacrifice. We can take one for the team. But basically, we hear a thud. We hear a massive thud outside the door. Think, shit, they've done it. And then the door opens again, and they push him back in. What they've done is they've bashed him around the head with a gun, and he's bleeding. And he's like kind of almost concussed, and his mum's passing out. And he's there, and he's in the bathroom. And my grandmother, instead of helping him, she grabs him, and she smacks him really hard. She goes, you stupid idiot, does it look like there's any room in this place? Stand up straight. <laughs> anyway, so we're still in there. And then I, I realize that I have, I have some contraband. I asked my aunt to pass this big pot of cream, cold cream. I'm known for my skincare and stuff, and they're all really angry. It's like, God, now she worries about her fucking skincare and how soft her hands are. They pass the pot cream and I take off my bangles, which I push right up into my sleeve and put them in there. And then it turns out everybody's holding back stuff. My aunt, she's getting like her chains out from under there. There's, gold, there's chandeliers coming out and bras. There's all sorts of things coming out and knickers. They're all putting them into this pot of cream. We're there for a day until we finally realize that they've gone. And my aunt, uncle, who's now actually fully recovered, 
breaks us out. It was horrendous, horrible, but we can laugh about it. And that scenario taught me that when I went back to England, that I felt so trapped in that scenario that when I came back, I realized I needed to leave my marriage. So three months pregnant, that was the catalyst for me leaving my husband. And that's my story. <laughs> so Sheila Kershi, everybody. Okay, so our next performer is kind of unique in that he is not doing a show at the festival, uh, but he does do a show in Luton. So if you're ever in Luton, look out for Utter Luton. Uh, and he has some, I think you have got some merchandise today if people are interested in buying it, aren't they? So look for him later on if you would like to buy his work. And put your hands together for Lee Nelson! Not that fucker off the telly. Uh, you know, the racist, moronic, classist shitbag. Um, sorry. <laughs> Don't like him. Okay, so um, Dave told me to write about tragedy, so that's what I've done. Um, the tragedy of history and the tragedy of legacy learning, old and new. Move no stones, build no cairns, the past's not yours, the future's theirs. You don't create, you just curate, pass on as taught, serve, stand and wait. On the Burren in Western Ireland, they have these signs saying, move no stones, build no cairns, which is a poetry of its own, but which otherwise is entirely dismal. The intention, of course, is to preserve the natural landscape, but the landscape isn't natural. The burren is covered in evidence of humans piling the stones, setting them upright, building elegant dolmens, leaving their natural mark on the landscape for other humans to see, now and in the future. Move no stones, build no cairns, the past's not yours, the future's theirs, you don't partake, you just spectate, you're here to serve, wait at the gate. Seems to me it's a human instinct to mark your environment, to leave a trace, mark your passage through the place, from cave paintings to graffiti, from Avebury to the Parthenon to the Gherkin. I was here, you feel the need to say. To let those to come know what, the, what, what you were building for them, to let those around you know you were there, to naturally mark your naturally awarded by birthplace as a natural being in the natural world. Move no stones, build no cairns, the past's not yours, the future's theirs. You'll not create, they'll adjudicate, sit down, shut up, just serve and wait. But making history has stopped, it seems. People no longer make a mark, you just respect the marks others make. You don't make history, you watch it. Look at it passively and smile complicitly. You don't participate actively. We have no agency and we are told we should gaze admiringly at all that heritage. But we don't make any, apparently, and we mustn't make what's there look untidy with our insignificance. Move no stones, build no cairns, the past's not yours, the future's theirs, you don't create, you just curate, pass on as taught, serve, stand and wait. So you can grow debt but leave no legacy. So you can watch the repeats but make no telly of your own. So you can owe the past but not pay the future, so you can venerate but not generate culture, so you can buy the t-shirt but not go see or do yourself, so you can charge towards a foregone cliff and leave nothing of worth but wealth. I say move those stones, build your cairns, shape your tools, bear your bands, shape your cares, take those dares, split those hairs, raise concerns, arm no bears, reap no tears. Please move those stones, build those cairns, show those to come the way we work because we create. Yes, we create. We'll show them yet, you fucking wait. That's about making history, uh, and this is about teaching it, which I don't do. 
Uh, but I did, I, I did, I did, I did tell my uh, school careers officer that that's what I was going to be. So I got really fucking boring work experience. Um, <laughs> that made me wear my school uniform. Um, everybody else got two weeks off, do you know what I mean? Like, oh, I wore a T-shirt, I fixed photocopiers. <laughs> no, not me. Um, this one's uh, for Michael Gove. He's a lovely chap. And now for Nicky Morgan, who's also wonderful. <laughs> this examines the... Uh, Oh, it's got, it's got a C word in it, and I feel I should uh, explain the use of the C word in this one if I've, if I've just about got time. Um, strong C word. I might not say the C word when I get to it, but the point is this. If you take the percussive penetrative power of the masculine, cock and dick, and you attribute it to the feminine, it becomes that much more transgressive and that much more powerful, and that's why it's the most offensive of the swear words, because it breaks more rules. It's actually feminist to say the word cunt. It is. Lots of people have said it. Jermaine Greer, chiefly. Um, and Jack Lacan, as a reading of Freud. And, uh, yeah. and the French feminists of the 70s, for those of you who are into that shit. <laughs> it's wild stuff. This one's called The Burdens of Power, which examines history through the medium of elves. The king of the elves strode swift to his throne. The rebellion quelled, the domain still his own. There he stood on the dais, his regime to enforce with what he'd learnt on a management training course. <laughs> Fellow elves, he smiled and held up a hand. The room was still stately, its appointment so grand, all the pomp of the elvish in this throne room ingrained. But the consultant said that the common touch must be maintained. Fellow elves was intended to level the field. Outside steamed the corpses where insurgents had yielded their cause to the forces the monarch had hired. Dwarf mercenaries from the kingdom of Dwanak Ufayad. <laughs> Traditionally, elves fought with the stems of fresh roses. Combatants would strike swift gladiatorial poses, their poise and their battle cries, judged by king's quorum. And the one who did it nicest declared victor ludorum. <laughs> but this latest rebellion over paying conditions had halted production of soft pink kitten mittens, and the king's daily quail egg depended on mittens exported, so dwarves they were summoned and rebels were slaughtered. <laughs> Capitalism. Ah, so now was the time to restore status quo so the looms could start weaving, the mittens could flow, so the king took the dais to damage to limit through the proud use of rhetoric, language with nothing in it. <laughs> Fellow elves. It was an opener to establish credentials. The king had learnt this on a long residential, all found from tax money, free beer and free maidens, a free for all for pragmatism and free word association. <laughs> Fellow elves. Here I stand on this darkest of days. Yes, I summoned the wolves, but they'll soon go away. I'm afraid at the time they were just necessary. The burdens of power are onerous and heavy. Now, there's elves here amongst us. Wreckers, I call them, say that I and my wife, members of my quorum, sit here growing fat on the sails of these mittens, made, as you know, from the guts of your children. But as was proved conclusively, I ask for no quarter by the great elvish scientist Nils Overwater. There's just not enough pixie dust to go round, so your children are better off under the ground. So your kids have to die. I've got two of my own. But it's counterproductive to cry and to moan and to ululate, holler, howl, keen scream, be morose. If your kids have to die, let them be of some use. You see, these mittens we make, see, they're known across the world. None softer, none finer, gut fleece, softly curled. They're our glory, elves' glory. Fellow elves, don't be churlish. The best footwear for young cats is defiantly elvish. And so, do you want that your kids died in vain? 
I mean, these complainers will say that they won't come again, that their life is a life once it's gone, lost forever, but you're young and you're vigorous. Go make another. And so that your lives and the lives of your children do not go to waste. We must still export mittens. The dwarves are our friends. To keep order, they'll stay here. As he pauses, breath held, there arises a cheer. And it's in this way the cunts who would sell education ensure passive compliance from the knowledge-starved nation, ensure the lessons of history go unlearnt, so repeated, thanks to doublespeak, lies and cant, rhetoric reheated. We'll watch history repeat, thanks to lessons unlearnt, as the killing fields swell and the corpses are burnt. If you want to buy me book, if you recognise what it's meant to be a parody of, hurrah, if you don't, find out. Lee Nelson, everybody! Okay, right, so our next uh, performer, she is uh, doing a show called A Work in Progress at the Stand at 9.30, uh, every day till the 30th, apart from on the 17th. We have to get everyone for Shazia Mirza! Good evening, Wembley! I've done some big gigs in my time, but this is fucking massive. We could have done this in my living room. There's more people in my family. Thank you. <laughs> my show is a work in progress, but can I just tell you it's finished? So please come. <laughs> now, um, I'm going to tell you, I used to be a thief. Um, I used to steal a lot. Um, and I, it's not something I did on purpose. I just couldn't help stealing. I've stopped it now, and that's why I brought my brag in, because I also think other people are thieves, so I had to keep an eye on it. And what happened is I was invited to go to my friend's uh, wedding in Canada last year, and um, they had this massive wedding cake, and it was a really posh wedding. And as we were leaving, um, I just was looking for things to steal. I, I didn't, wasn't looking for them deliberately, I just... When I get bored, I look for things to steal. And there was a massive wedding cake, and I thought, I can't steal that. Um, <laughs> and then behind the cake, somebody had left a, a, a pair of sunglasses. And I've got loads of sunglasses at home. I don't need sunglasses. I live in England, you know, we don't need sunglasses. Um, but somebody had left this pair of sunglasses, and I looked on them, and it said Louis Vuitton. And I. I, I never buy designer things because I haven't got enough money. But I, th I looked at that and I thought, that's really expensive. So I stole them. <laughs> I stole the sunglasses, not because they were nice, because actually they were too big for my face. <laughs> they actually didn't fit. They were really big. It looked like a balaclava. Not really sunglasses. So, but I just stole them because I thought it's Louis Vuitton and I can show them to people. I can walk down the Champs Elysees in Paris and people will say, oh, look at that woman. Isn't she rich? So I stole them and I felt really bad about it because as I was leaving, everybody was complaining. These two women at the cloakroom were complaining that they'd lost their glasses and I heard them and I walked past with them in my bag. So I felt really bad, because that was an opportunity, really, for me to hand them in or say, look, I found them. But I didn't. I ignored them. And I carried on and walked out with them. And these women were devastated. They were like, oh, my husband bought them for me for my birthday. 
oh my God, um, I, I, my husband's going to kill me. They're so expensive. I just went, I stole them. I walked out. Then about two weeks later, my friends whose wedding it was sent an email round to all the guests at the wedding saying that so-and-so had lost their sunglasses. If anybody found them, could they please hand them in? I deleted the email. <laughs> Why did I do that? I had many opportunities to hand those glasses in and I just ignored them. And you know what? I never even wore the glasses. They were just at the bottom of my bed, just there. And then about two weeks after that, I went on holiday to France, to Montpellier. And um, I went out for a, a cycle ride one night with my friend. And I had this handbag, this gold handbag, which is my favorite handbag, which I bought from a vintage shop. So it was a one-off. So it could never be replaced. I put the sunglasses in there and I put them in the basket in the back of the, the cycle. And one night, it was about midnight, we were cycling along this pathway and there was a river <laughs> and it was really dark and there was no lights and my bike slipped and fell in the river and I was on the bike. And I fell in face down with the bike like a landslide right into this river in my stilettos and my hot pants. And... I, w I just wanted to save my handbag. I didn't give a shit about the sunglasses, but I wanted to save my handbag. And so I, 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 the bike went, and I just managed to save the handbag. And the glasses had been all moldy with mud, and they were damaged a bit. But I thought, it's okay, it's okay, it's fine. Uh, I, I got the, dragged the bike out, um, and then we got on this, um, we got on this like tube to go home. And as we got on the tube, we were waiting, and there was loads of crowds of people. And as we got on the tube, I sat down and I looked back and somebody had stolen my handbag with the sunglasses in, in the, which was attached to my basket in the back of the bicycle. And I was really pissed off because of my handbag and the sunglasses and I'd lost the sunglasses. But the thing was, that night I'd made an intention that I was going to give the sunglasses back. I said, when this holiday is over, I'm going to post those glasses back to my friend Andrea. And they got stolen. Not only did they get stolen, my handbag got stolen too. Karma. That is the moral of the story, is that not only was the whole thing a tragedy, it was also karma, because I lost the sunglasses and I lost my favorite handbag too. So that's my tragic story. <laughs> Thank you very much, everyone. Shazia Mercer, everybody. That was like proper kind of classical tragedy, really, when you get down to analyzing that one. Right. So now it's time for our last piece of tragedy of the evening. Uh, so, he's doing a show called The World's Full of Idiots, Let's Live in Space. I saw it uh, earlier this week, and it is really great. Like, like one of the best like, hours of stand-up that I've seen, I think, in my life. Uh, well, that's, a, that's bigging you up. Everyone loves it when you really big people up, lots and lots, before they come on stage. Everyone actually hates that. So, yes, 2.30 every day at the Liquid Room Annex, uh, up until the 30th. He's not doing the 18th. Put your hands together for Turnham! Do it! I like that. It was a very sweet and very lovely introduction. As you did it, a woman got up and left. So, well, I can't handle that. What if it's too good? Uh, it's not. Lower all your expectations accordingly. Um, 
How, are you all all right? Are you all surviving the fringe okay? Yeah, good, good, good. I, I, am, I am very croaky, I apologise. This uh, set will sound a lot more jazzy than it normally does. Um, I genuinely, I, I, I didn't have a lot of tragedy to talk about. My life is sort of all right. As I was standing outside waiting to see this gig, a seagull shat on me. Um, before I did stand up for tragedy, a seagull shat on me. It feels like nature is still the sharpest wit of the fringe, ladies and gentlemen, which uh, is incredible. Um, I thought I'd tell you about, uh, I thought I'd do a bit of stand up I, I did in my last show. Um, about the last ever music festival. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> That's going to happen loads. It's disgusting. I am full of fringe flu, which I got about three days in. Um, I do apologize. So I was going to tell you about the last, uh, the last music festival I went to, and uh, a, a strange realisation happened to me a couple of years ago, where I'd realised that people had always said to me that uh, you get conservative as you get older. You get more conservative as you get older. And I'd always thought, no, that is never going to happen to me. I'm a very liberal, very sort of left-wing person. Uh, and what I realised is that you, you do get more conservative as you get older, but just personally conservative. So politically, I was still very left-wing, very liberal, but personally, my life and things about it, I was very conservative. So, for example, still really, really believe in freedom of speech. I just wish a lot of people would shut the fuck up. <laughs> I really believe in equal distribution of land and wealth, but I just think people should get their bit, go to it, stay there, leave me the fuck alone. <laughs> I really, really want what's best for humanity, but I really fucking hate people. And I really wish they'd go away. Because people ruin everything, right? They ruin absolutely everything. And music festivals is something they ruined for me uh, a couple of years ago. Um, I, I, I've never been a big fan of music festivals anyway. Uh, I always feel that music festivals could be advertised by saying, hey, do you like being temperate at any time? Do you like being woken up at 6 a.m. by drunken dickheads and then woken up by their, by their irritating children at 7 a.m.? Festivals, right? They're fucking horrible things. And you're either in a field surrounded by people you don't really like, um, which is horrific, but then if they weren't there, you'd be in the woods by yourself and that would be terrifying. So there's no winning. <laughs> And I get really upset by, by, you know, the music at festivals. I get really annoyed when somebody on a stage shouts, somebody make some noise! And you think, no, that's your job. And, <laughs> and I get annoyed by types of music as well. I, I've, I've, my music tastes have changed rapidly as I've got older. And uh, I know this because I was recently clearing out some CDs uh, because music has got smaller. Um, if there are any young people in the room, uh, CDs were like MP3s you could use as Frisbees or coasters. They were incredible. They're brilliant. <laughs> Cassettes, right? Cassettes were MP3s you could fix with a pencil. They were amazing. Um, when I was a kid, I used to have a Sony Sports Walkman that was bright yellow and said it could go underwater for up to 400 metres. So what nobody had thought through is that halfway through a cassette, you had to turn it over. Um, it was a very, very sad day at the pool. Um, so... I was getting rid of some CDs and I thought, I'm going to listen to these just in case I still like them, just in case there's something there that I love. Uh, and... Uh, and I put on a hard house CD I haven't listened to since the mid-90s, and it now just sounds like every migraine I've ever had is horrible. It's repetitive hell. Um, and the one I, I thought I'd be really interested by is I put on a Cypress Hill CD. Uh, Cypress Hill, if you don't know them, you probably do, but they were an early 90s hip-hop band that, when I was 13, they were rapping about drugs and guns in the streets of Compton, and I was like, this is real. They're talking about real things. That's real life. It's amazing. And I, I thought, I'm still going to love this CD. I'm sure I will. And, and I put it on and it played and it went, roll it up, light it up, smoke it up, inhale, exhale. And when I was 13, I was like, fuck, he's talking about drugs. It's incredible. I'm 34 now. And all I could think of as I listened to it was, 
God, he's got a stupid voice. Why does he put on such a stupid voice? Is that how he talks all the time? Is it, can I have a biscuit? Fuck off and grow up. <laughs> Terrible. But I went to this music festival, the last music festival I went to, because of the acts that were on, right? Uh, people I really liked. The headliner was Stevie Wonder. I don't need to justify that to you. Stevie Wonder, absolute legend, of course. But before Stevie Wonder uh, was an act that I really wanted to see, uh, a band called Sigur Ross. Do any of you know Sigur Ross? A few of you, okay, yeah. Uh, if you don't, just watch any BBC One Nature documentary and it'll be that. Um, and Sigur Ross are actually quite a hard band to describe. They're sort of uh, alternative rock with the sounds of Icelandic wailing over the top. Yeah. And I mean singing, I don't mean get the harpoon, oh, that'd be horrible. And I wouldn't listen to that, it's not soothing. Uh, <laughs> It's, it's like beautiful sing, beautiful kind of wailing and singing over the top. And, and I love it because it reminds me of Iceland. Uh, and uh, I don't know if any of you have been, but it's, it's an incredible place, Iceland. Uh, they do so, so many things right there. It looks like another planet. You know, there's volcanic sands and glaciers and volcanoes and everything there feels a bit magical and otherworldly. And the way they live their lives is remarkable. You know, they do so many clever things. All their energy comes from underneath a volcano. So it's environmentally friendly, it's renewable, it's efficient. Uh, it means the entire island smells like kind of sulfury farts. Uh, and as a result, there's no blame culture at all. It's impossible. You can't have one. It's brilliant. And uh, they, they're, so, they're so good as people. There was, um, there, was a, there was a thing that I really liked about Iceland that I realised wasn't a real thing uh, recently. Uh, I was watching a, a documentary on Ea Flatli Yoku, the, the volcano that exploded a couple of years ago. You might remember it caused a big ash cloud. And um, this documentary was hosted by Kate Humble, who you have to fucking like. She's called Kate Humble. That's amazing. And she was interviewing a, an Icelandic volcanologist. Now, bear in mind where he's from, Iceland, lots of volcanoes, and his job, volcanologist, deals with volcanoes. He had the unfortunate vocal inflection where he pronounced the word ash as ass. Incredible, right? So she said to him, what happened when the volcano exploded? And he said, oh, there was ass everywhere. My house was completely covered in ass. My children had ass in their hair. I had ass in my mouth for days. Fucking amazing. But it was sadly just him and uh, not the whole island. Um, <laughs> And uh, it's a, they're an amazing place. There's only, um, in Iceland, there's only 320,000 people. That's it. In a, in a country that's bigger than England and Wales combined, there's only 320,000 people. And that is why people there are happy. Because there's no one around to ruin things. Sigur Ross can make this beautiful sweeping noise because there's no one around to go, shut up, I'm trying to watch the telly. Jonesy, the lead singer of Sigur Ross, plays his guitar with a violin bow like that, and he can do that because there's no one around to go, what are you doing? You've muddled up your instruments, you fucking idiot. And so Sigur Ross's music reminds me of this kind of space and otherworldliness, and I feel, you know, calm when I hear it. And so I'd got everything planned at this festival to see them. I was going to do this properly. I was going to enjoy this, make sure it wasn't ruined. And I, uh, I'd been to the loo. I'd got something to eat. I had a raclette, which is a wheel of cheese. Holy shit, where is the car it came from? Um, <laughs> it's like chocolate buttons. Where's the jacket? And, and I was with my girlfriend and my friend, and I'd found somewhere to stand and watch, and I could see things, which is rare for someone of my height. And I had this sudden realisation that the only thing that could fuck this up now would be other people. Other people might get in the way, or they might talk through it, or they might make noise, or they might ruin it somehow, and I didn't want that to happen. So I had a little plan. 
I, I spoke to the guy that was next to me, right? And he was a student. He traveled all the way there by himself just to see Sigur Ross. And I said, okay, well, you really want to see them. They're your favorite band. I really want to see them. They're one of my favorite bands. How, I, how about we make a little pact right now that while they're on, we're both going to shut the fuck up and not ruin it for each other. And he went, yeah, like a silence pact. I was like, yeah, silence pact, we'll do it. So we agreed, I had one person on my side. And then there were three guys behind me and luckily I'd done a gig in the comedy tent earlier. They'd seen it, they liked it, so I had a little bit of power. So I said, you know, glad you liked it. You really want to watch these guys now? I was like, yeah, we really want to watch Ross. I really want to watch them. How about we make a pact right now that we'll shut the fuck up? Like, yeah, we'll shut the fuck up, we'll shut the fuck up. <laughs> and I managed to get about 15, 16 of us, this little huddled group that had all promised not to ruin it for each other. We were just gonna enjoy this gig and it was gonna be the best gig ever, just in quiet, beautiful harmony watching Ross. And it was perfect. They started playing and the sun started setting and they started playing all the tracks we wanted to and nobody ruined it for each other. And John Z started playing his guitar with a violin bow and nobody called him a dick, right? It was incredible. <laughs> and then about four or five songs in, this man decides to barge past us, right? And he's a big, big guy. Uh, he's got a bandana, a handlebar moustache, a sleeveless top, and he's big. And he looks like the sort of henchman from any 80s action film that's ever happened. <laughs> You know, one of the guys that would do a swear that isn't really a swear, like, hey, you, mother kisser. Is that bad? I don't know. And, <laughs> and he pushed past us all elbows, and we were so angry, but we realized that the flaw in our plan, we couldn't have a go at him because then we'd break our own pact. So we just sort of stared at him and went, oh. You know, and then he pushed past us, ruining it, and we were so upset. And then he walked behind a man that was watching it and just held him for the whole of one song. And at the end of the song, let go and walked off. And we looked at each other and thought, yeah, we'll let him have that. I suppose uh, it's quite nice. I mean, we assume he knew the guy. Uh, if he didn't, probably should have intervened. But you know, um, uh, it was perfect. It was a perfect gig, right? And until the end, right? Until the end, about three songs before the end. They were playing Hoppy Polo, one of my favorite tracks, the one that is repeatedly used on BBC One Nature documentaries. and. Three songs before the end, people started to come in to see Stevie Wonder, right? Of course you would, he's a legend, of course you would, you want a good place to see him. But these people didn't care about what we were watching and they were angry and they were loud and they were shouting and getting in the way and barging in. And in particular, a group of teenage girls barged in front of us, right? Now, look, I, I'm a stand-up, I hear all sorts of language, I am not offended by language in any way, whatever people say, but sometimes there is a time and a place for vulgarity. And at that time, they're playing Hobby Polar. I'm imagining glaciers and an absence of people. And this group of teenage girls barges in front of me, and one of them shouts very loudly, yeah, I haven't had a wash in five days, but I'm gonna have to have a vag wash because it's gone manky. No, not now. Don't ruin my glacier. Don't do it, don't do it now. And then the one behind her said, this one we're gonna see is either blind one or the one that sings hello. Fucking read a thing. Read a fucking thing in your life. And then they stood in front of us and they raised up this massive banner so that we couldn't see anything. And on the front of it, it said, we love you, Stevie. He will never see that. That's why I fucking hate people. Um, thanks very much. I've been TNN and DM. Cheers. TNN DM, everybody. Okay, so yes. Uh, so that is the end of the tragedy for today. Um,
As I said earlier on, uh, yes, it's free to, to get in, but we, uh, we would like your money if you would like to give it to us on your way out. We, we're not embarrassed by paper money, you know. We, 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 won't, we, won't, we won't be offended. Um, and one of the ways that you can help and give back to, to the tragedy, if you can't afford uh, to put some money in, or even if you can, is to spread the word, because it's got to the point in the fringe where, you know, there's a lot of things that are competing with us, and some people have got reviews and some people haven't, so we would like to get some more people in here to see the amazing tragedy that happens on this stage, because I think that this really I think we like the tragedy today, right? I think, yeah. Yeah? So let's tell people about that tragedy. Uh, so, yeah, one way you can do that is to put a, a review on the Ed Fringe website. Everyone keeps saying this, so it must be a thing, right? So, yeah, do it. I mean, I don't know. Don't do that, really. I mean, do something that's more, like, engaging. Tell your friends. Actually speak. Human contact. That's lovely, isn't it? So, yes. Um, yeah, I mean, we are a podcast. Uh, listen out for it. Tell people to listen back to it. If you enjoyed what happened today, then tell people to listen to it, and they'll get to enjoy it too. Um, I'm the kind of person who sort of, like, is afraid of silence, and I just keep speaking until people clap, so that's probably a good idea for people to clap, or I will never finish. Uh, and then, yeah, the tragedy is over. Thank you. Time to